at a time when investors are confronted with market volatility and a variety of challenges fueled by the uncertainty of inflation, unsettled geopolitical tensions, and economic pressures, Justin Klein and Steve Peasley stand ready to take your finance and investment questions and share their unbiased answers. This is Invest Talk, independent thinking, shared success. Invest Talk is made possible by KPP Financial, a registered investment advisor firm serving clients throughout the United States. The clarity for your path forward starts now. Here is KPP Chief Executive Officer, Financial Advisor, Justin Klein. Good afternoon, fellow investors, and welcome back to Invest Talk. This is our Thursday, December 7th, 2023 edition. I'm Justin Klein, and I'm excited for this hour. I love talking to you guys. I love guiding you through what I'm looking at, as well as giving you my perspective. There's always something interesting happening in the markets that can either present opportunity or risk, or simply it's just interesting. And my job is to distill all of that into actionable steps for you to make good decisions with your money. Now, today is December 7th, and if that date sounds familiar, well, 82 years ago was Pearl Harbor, and obviously that kicked off uh, a major global event, World War II. It was already going, but obviously that ramped it up, and... You know, it just reminds you that anything can happen. You never know what's around the corner. But you can have your eyes open to the risks that are out there. And that's what most people, I think, suffer from, is not having a firm grasp on the risks that they're exposed to in their portfolio. So that's why this job is never done. There's always new risks creeping up. Some of them are economic. Some of them are geopolitical. Some of them are company or sector specific. And then there's yourself. You can be your own risk. Your biases can put you into investments or situations that you're ill-prepared for. So our job is to help guide you and take advantage of the opportunities as best as we can and limit the overall risk to your portfolio. Not no risk, but limited risk compared to the opportunities you're taking advantage of. Now, we're going to talk about the market performance today. We're going to run down some show topics, but right after we answer our first caller question now. Hey, I got a question about the ticker symbol ING. I just increased my position with this company, and I wanted to know if I could please get your analysis on this company and um, any projections that you may see going forward. I'm going to try to hold it as long as I can. I'm looking for growth. Big fan of the show, and I'll listen to the podcast for your answer. Thank you. 
All right, looking at ING Group out of the Netherlands. This is a Dutch-based company that provides retail and wholesale banking services to financial institutions. And it's been growing pretty nicely as of late. And probably a big reason for that is it has insurance activity. So I like the fact that it's exposed not just to banking, which in many ways is struggling, but it's also focused on insurance as well, which that's a much better business to be in right now. Now, if you look at the chart, it is clearly in an uptrend. The whole financial service industry itself has been in an uptrend over the past month because of lower rates. Those higher rates have been weighing on many in the industry across the board. But what I like about ING is that it is above all the major moving averages. It's not in a longer-term downtrend. It bottomed back in the summer of last year. And there is some overhead resistance around $16 per share. Now we're at 14 and change. So I would be a bit wary of that. But I like the overall setup and the trajectory of breaking through that. And the earnings trajectory. Last year, they made $1.06. Now, that was down from pre-pandemic levels in 2019 of $1.38. But this year, it's supposed to make two nineteen. Next year, two eleven on a $14 stock. So, talking about forward-looking multiple right around 7. I have no real issue with that. I like that it is foreign. Get some foreign exposure. It can be difficult to find good companies at reasonable valuations in foreign markets. And this is one of them. So uh, technical setup is not amazing, but solid. And I like the business overall. So uh, I'm going to give ING a thumbs up. All right. We have a lot of ground to cover in the next 40 minutes. And our main focus point is set up by this story. A record 8 million mortgages and loan defaults in China demonstrates a worsening economic crisis. So we're going to talk broadly about China and its economic trajectory going forward. And obviously, the Chinese housing market is a big part of that and how much financial stress that will cause going forward. We also want to touch on the trends within the ETF market, especially those towards ETFs that pay big fat dividends. A lot of money is moved towards these ETFs that are promising big monthly payouts. And as I've said many times before, I warn all of the InvestDoc listeners that Big yielding funds like this are typically too good to be true. Either you're taking outsized risk or that yield is coming from somewhere and oftentimes it's coming from just losses on the underlying ETF. And so we're going to take a look at some of these ETFs that show pretty eye-popping annual dividend yields. And we're going to talk about what the pros and cons are there. Also, AI is obviously in in everyone's lexicon now. There's a lot of hype around it. 
but how close is the reality today to that hype? And then lastly, we're going to touch a bit on renewables. And is this a make or break moment for the sector as a whole? Okay. Now, we also have some voice bank questions. One is in regard to buying stocks for an 11-year-old and then oil and stock prices. Okay. Now, let's take a look at the market today. It was a, it was a positive day overall. You had large cap stocks up about 78 basis points. Small cap stocks did well uh, also up 73 basis points. Mid caps, which did much better yesterday, lagged a bit, only up about 44 basis points. Small cap, looks like small cap value was probably the best slice of the market today, but large cap growth did fairly well. On top of that, AMD was up 9% today. Tesla uh, did it, or inch up about a little over 1%. Amazon up 1.5%. Apple up 1%. Your big losers on the day. Let's see if there are any big notable losers. No, most of them are pretty small cap. Any big winners? JetBlue up 15%. Revolve up 10%. GameStop up 10%. And like I said, AMD up 10% as well. So... That was the market today. The dollar was a bit stronger. Tomorrow, we have the jobs report. That's going to, excuse me, the dollar was weaker today after being stronger for the past week. Uh, The jobs report is coming out tomorrow. Expected is about 175,000 jobs up from around 150 from the previous month. And where is the risk here? I think it's a bit to the upside that maybe we beat for the first time in a while. We've had a string of jobs numbers not only missing, but also downgrades to previous reports. And we'll see if that can continue. Remember, most of November, financial conditions were easing and things were getting a a bit better due to a weakening dollar and lower interest rates. So it would not shock me to see a bit of a beat on the jobs report tomorrow. But we will see. We will see. All right. We're heading into a break. And that means I'm going to remind you about our holiday giveaway contest, and you can get a free autographed copy of Steve's book. We're giving one away each day for the rest of the month. And to enter the contest, the rules are simple. Subscribe to our YouTube channel as well as our Instagram account and like our holiday giveaway post on our Instagram account and tag three friends in the comments. We'll pick one winner each day, like I said, until December 31st. Now, the phone lines are open waiting for your calls and your questions at 888-99-CHART. Every investor is working to build a secure financial future. Would this be an opportune time to get into annuities? Everyone's situation is different. Get your thoughts on CRM, Salesforce. And so are their questions. And I was just calling for your assessment of Blackstone Incorporated. To get your take on Chewy. Ticker symbol L-E-C-O. Just wanted to get your opinion on J.P. Morgan. Invest Talk hosts Justin Klein... You know, I'm okay paying a fair price for a very good business. Steve Peasley. It's a very well-run company. And now Luke Guerrero. EBITDA growth is significantly higher than its competitors. Are ready to provide their unbiased answers. Each podcast is unique. Love what you guys do. And you set the agenda. 24-7, rain or shine, Invest Talk is made better by the power of you.
888-99-CHART. This is Invest Talk. For serious investors, it's all about achieving financial freedom. That's why the unbiased guidance offered by Stephen Justin is so valuable. The Invest Talk Anytime listener lines are open now, and Stephen Justin welcome your questions. Call 888-99-CHART. Hi, my name's Dave. I really like your show and appreciate your information. Um, just a quick question. Why are the oil prices and the oil company stock prices all going down when a Middle East war is raging? I don't understand what's going on here. I would think everything would be driving up the price. But if you look over the last month, it's all been going down. Can you explain that, please? Thanks. Very simple. Geopolitical concerns are one aspect of where oil prices are going. And the main driver has to do with economic growth. And as job numbers uh, and economic numbers more broadly in the largest economy in the world here in the U.S., as those continue to decelerate, the market is pricing in weaker expected demand. Even though history says it takes a really bad recession for demand to drop. So demand continues to go up. But what you're seeing is the restrictions on Russian oil, for example, uh, it's not really working, okay? It's one of those things where there's good intentions, but they find ways around it. And in some ways, lowering the price actually incentivizes Russia to pump more and just sell it to those that are willing to buy it, like India and China. So paradoxically, Russia's kind of gained market share in non-Western markets, uh, and <clears throat> supply growth for now remains pretty solid, even though rig count has started to decline starting kind of middle of this year here domestically. So I think this is more of a, a short-term uh a short-term trend. I don't see this as something that's sticking. Uh, I don't think that trend is going to stick uh, for an, a long period of time. But for right now, you know, just because there's a war in the Middle East uh, doesn't mean. And, and the fact, the simple fact is, nothing has spilled over. It still remains a a war confined to a small area. And Iran hasn't gotten into it. Saudi Arabia hasn't gotten into it. There's some, been some regional skirmishes, sorry, regional skirmishes, but nothing that is disrupted the flow of oil. So just because of the headlines doesn't mean you have to interpret that being uh, super impactful for the uh, energy sector. For right now, uh, it hasn't had a major impact on supply. All right. Now we're heading into a quick break. Please remember that you can call anytime and leave your questions on the Invest Talk Boys Bank. If you're listening via our live stream or on AM 1220 radio in the Silicon Valley area, you can call right now and talk to us live at 888 chart Invest Talk is always made better when our listeners contribute their questions. So tell your friends and family members they can interact in real time with Steve Peasley and Justin Klein during the Invest Talk live stream program between 4 and 5 p.m. Pacific time. 
or they can leave their questions anytime, 24-7, in the InvestTalk voice bank. Remember, for live or recorded questions, the number never changes. 888-99-CHART. Now, our main focus point is set up by this headline, a record 8 million mortgage and loan defaults in China demonstrate a worsening economic crisis. And what you're seeing here is a clear reversal of really the biggest global story of the past half century. And China opened to the world in the 80s, really took off in the late 90s, and its share of the global economy rose nearly tenfold between 1990, when it was at 2%, all the way to 2021, where it was at 18.4%. Think about that. Go from 2% of the world economy to 18.4 in basically 30 years no nation has ever risen that fast and there's certainly something to it liberalizing the economy and allowing their number one resource which was labor to to flourish but in 2022, China's share of the world economy will shrink a little bit, slightly. And this year, it's supposed to shrink even more, down to 17%. So from 2 to 18.4, and in just two years, down to 17%. So that 1.4% drop is the largest since the 1960s of any country. Now, the world economy is expected to grow by $8 trillion last year and this year. To 105 trillion, but China will account for none of that gain. The U.S. 45 percent of that gain. Pretty well. Everyone thinks the economy is bad, but our our share of the global economy is continues to rise. The other, basically 50 percent, are emerging nations, and then the rest would be Europe. The five countries. Of those emerging nations that account for 50% of that economic growth would be India, Indonesia, Mexico, Brazil, and Poland. Those are the five. And this is not, this is not third-party data. This, these economic growth data points are coming from the Chinese official GDP figures. And there are multiple factors. The biggest, the baby bust in China. Already, China's share of the working age population of the world has fallen from 24% to 19%. And it's expected to fall to 10% over the next 35 years. So clearly, demographics are a huge part of this. And another is simply misallocation of capital. Their government has deliberalized the economy in many ways over the past decades, past, past about decade, increasing the share of the economy that is dependent on the real estate sector. And we know that defaults are rising dramatically there. But also labor productivity is slowing as well. So not only are there less Chinese workers available, but they're becoming less productive on top of that. 
So in nominal dollars, Chinese GDP is on track to decline this year for the first time since 1994 when they devalued the renminbi. And investors are seeing that. Foreign, foreigners cut investment in Chinese factories and other projects by $12 billion in the third quarter, the first drop since records had been tracked. So what you're seeing here is, in many ways, a, an echoing of what happened in, the, in Japan. And this was a huge factor in the exporting of Western capital, taking advantage of cheap Eastern labor and resources. And now with Russia being cut off, those resources are not there nearly as much. And now with the decline in labor, that's also the kind of labor in China, that is also becoming a broader issue and a more inflationary environment is ensuing. So that's the secular shift that, you're, that, that, that we talk about so often. There are always cyclical patterns that will buck that trend in the near term. That's what you're kind of seeing now with the slowdown in the economy and thus a slowdown in inflation. But know that what you're, the, the bust that you're seeing in China is going to have a larger impact, not just on Chinese investments, but supply chains and the cost of goods throughout the world. Now, in the next Invest Talk, we'll look into this story. The U.S. Senate will launch a bipartisan probe of the growing role private equity plays in U.S. healthcare. Now, over the past decade, these firms have spent $1 trillion buying healthcare businesses to include hospitals, nursing homes, physician practices, and hospital staffing companies. That story tomorrow, but for now, I'm Justin Klein. I'm ready to take your calls at 888-99-CHART. Let's say you've been thinking about learning a new language. Okay, why? I mean, how would it come in handy? And where would you want to use it? Could it be that you have an upcoming international trip? Or maybe you want to connect with family members or friends from a different culture? I think you should know about Rosetta Stone. With millions of users, it's been the world's most trusted language learning program for 30 years. Rosetta Stone is available on your desktop or as an app with audio companion and the ability to download lessons offline. Rosetta Stone truly immerses you in the language you want to learn. It has a built-in, patented speech recognition engine called True Accent. So as you practice speaking, you'll get feedback on how well you pronounce words. With Rosetta Stone, you pick up a language naturally, first with words, then phrases, then sentences. It's an intuitive process designed for long-term retention. You really learn to speak, listen, and think in your new language. Rosetta Stone is an amazing value, so your special skill set is within easy reach. You know you want to do this, so... Don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, 
InvestTalk listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com today. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off now at rosettastone.com today. Everybody wants a secure financial future, but getting there takes strategy, discipline, and the right information. That means you'll have finance and investment questions. Justin Klein is ready to provide his unbiased answers. So don't forget to call InvestTalk, 888-99-CHART. Hi, Steve, Justin Malouk. I had an interesting question. One of my nephews, he's turning 11 years old for his Christmas wishes to put stocks on there. So I was thinking about buying him a few shares in a company. Now, I was thinking about the best stocks to buy for kids. I looked it up. There are some suggestions like Disney, Target, Mattel, Hasbro. You know, some of them are not doing very well right now. So I don't want to buy him a stock that's not doing well. Right. And there's Nike, Adidas, which he is into sports. I was thinking about buying him the stuff that I own that he might be interested in, maybe Caterpillar perhaps, or maybe just VTI, the total stock index. If you had any suggestions on what you would do for a 10-year-old super long-term hold, would you just buy a certain sector? Would you buy an ETF? Or how do you feel about any of those companies that I just mentioned? Do they stand out? Let me know your thoughts. Thank you very much. Bye. I love this call because I think it's great to get young people into understanding the investment world. And if there's a lot of lessons to be had and the earlier you can learn those lessons, the better. And the sooner they can get in the habit of potentially saving to invest, the better. Now, I would not do some broad-based ETF, although that creates instant diversification, et cetera. It's not going to teach them anything or much, let's say. And they're going to have no connection to what the S&P is or Vanguard or anything. It's not in their lexicon. It's not in their world. But brands are, and you talked about some of them, Disney, Nike, et cetera. Sounds like you said he was in the sports, so obviously Nike would be probably the the main one for that. And I would go with something that resonates with him based on his favorite sport or favorite movie or favorite clothing brand, things like that. And how there is a connection towards ownership. And I think even adults lose Capacity, I don't say capacity, they lose track of that simple fact that when you own equity, you're part owner. And so many people chase stories, they chase fads, they don't chase good businesses. But if you were to go and actually invest in an actual business in your city, How much would you scrutinize generally what they do 
versus how much profit they're making, how much cash flow they're making, and how much that means for you, the business owner. And so those are the lessons that I would try to instill in an 11-year-old. And they're probably not going to get as excited if it's some broad ETF. If you can explain to them, hey, you buy a share of Nike, you are a part owner. A very small part owner, but at the end of the day, you are a small part owner in a brand that they love. Nike pays a dividend. So they're going to get some sort of, it's not a big dividend, 1.3%. Not amazing, but it's something. And you can explain that process as well. How that can go up and down. How the price can go up and down. So that's the way I would go about it. I wouldn't Google and say, okay, best stocks for kids. No. Everybody's different. Every kid's different. Some kids are into basketball. Others, soccer. Others, jujitsu. Others, music. Others, surfing. So they all have different interests and find what that interest is and find a quality business related to that strong interest. Okay. Now let's touch on fads and there's a recent fad and it's roping in a lot of quote unquote conservative investors looking for yield. And a lot of these are new funds. And the main fund family that's putting these funds out are Yieldmax. And they have about 18 different basic, basically option income strategies. They're covered call strategies on particular large names. Tesla's the main one, TSLY. And what they do is they buy the underlying and they sell a call option to people that are piling into option bets on Tesla. And if you look at the data, it'll say that the fund's recent monthly dividend was 57.8%. 57.8%. Yeah, you heard that right. But the fund was launched last November, so a little over a year now, and TSLY has declined from $20.44 to $11.58 as the close on Monday. Let's see where we are now. We're at 11.31, so it's declined even more since Monday. And that loss is actually a bit bigger than the total amount you received in payouts. So while that yield sounds amazing, total return is negative. Now, if you just bought Tesla over that time, guess how much you would have made? 29%. No dividends, but all capital gains there. So there are a lot of these tied to the large, large cap names and they all have similar stories. Then there's a, what's called a defiance ETF. And these are basically selling short-term zero DTE options, zero days till expiration. 
I mean, they sell the option in the morning and it expires at the end of the day. And they're collecting a premium and it's some YOLO option speculator trying to hit a big home run on, on these trades. And Defiance has been around for a short period of time, but they've made three distributions. Very big, 67, 65, and 60%. And they're selling contracts, put contracts on the NASDAQ 100. And that sounds amazing. But if you've been in the option business for very long, remember the the VIX blow up? We had a similar type of uh, option selling ETF that blew up. Uh, I believe it was 2018, I want to say. And all the money was lost. And so what's happening here is you're taking huge, huge, huge risks. And just a small movement in the market can wipe out the entire principle. So the lesson here is that that dividend yield you see on the screen is not the end all be all of the story. It's how is that dividend being paid? Is it by taking extreme amounts of risk? Oftentimes that's the case. Is it because maybe the fund or the company is issuing more shares in order to pay that dividend? And in that case, you're just paying, you're just basically getting your own money back and paying tax on it. So I encourage you all to focus on the quality of the investment, quality of the business. What where is this coming from? Is it sustainable? And if you don't know that, you can't answer that question. You can't point to a clear, logical explanation. Then all you're doing is chasing yield without an understanding of the risk that you're taking. And more often than not, that's going to come back to bite you and you will regret it. Now, this is InvestDoc, now with more than 57 million downloads. Let's swing back to the InvestDoc voice bank for a question that came in earlier on 888 chart. Good afternoon, InvestDoc. Mike from Texas. I love the show, and I love the new insight Luke brings to the show. I'm looking at adding new sectors to my portfolio that I currently have no exposure to, real estate and bonds, though I know bonds are not a sector. I'm looking at the following ETFs. F-R-E-L, Fidelity Real Estate Index ETF, and F-L-D-R, Fidelity's Low Duration Bond ETF. What I like about F-R-E-L is that there isn't too much exposure to office REITs, and what I think is good exposure to industrial REITs, retail REITs, and telecom tower REITs with F-L-D-R, if I remember correctly, you're a fan of low-duration bonds, and since I currently don't have hundreds of thousands of dollars to buy bonds, figured a bond ETF is the way to go to get some bond exposure. I look forward to hearing your thoughts on these two different ETFs. Congratulations on 57 million downloads. I will continue to download every single day and listen, and I will listen to your answer on the podcast. Have a great day. All right, looking at the Fidelity Low Duration Bond Factor ETF. Thank you for the kind of words, by the way. 
And this is certainly low duration. Its effective duration is less than one year, 0.86 years. So you're definitely checking the boxes there. The credit quality is very high, all investment grade. The average credit quality is double A minus, so very, very high quality there. Uh, a big reason for that is a lot of government uh, exposure. Now, you're not getting a very big yield, but that may, may not be that important. Uh, right now, it's at about 5.8% because low date duration that's going to float. So I have no problem with that, especially for any conservative slice of your portfolio. Now, the Fidelity MSCI Real Estate ETF, the F, let's say F-R-E-L, excuse me. Uh, let me look at the details and look at the top 10 holdings here. You're looking at Prologis, that is an industrial REIT, American Tower, that is in the cell phone REIT space, Equinix, that is a, uh, a data center REIT, uh, let me see, Simon of Property, I'm looking for ones that would be office-related. Yeah, I'm not seeing a whole lot there. Um, yeah, I have no problem with this as uh, exposure to the real estate or the REIT sector. That's really what this is. And for everyone else out there, if you ever see real estate in the title of a fund, make sure you get clarity on that. Are you talking about home builders and adjacent businesses, or are we talking strictly about REITs? This looks completely REIT-focused. Now, it has rallied as of late, and there, uh, there is some duration risk here because these are bond proxies, and they're REITs that, like most REITs, they have, they have debt. And so if the cost of debt stays relatively high, that can impair kind of the, the payouts uh, and payout growth. So I don't love having a ton of exposure, but having a small amount of exposure is is fine. Uh, I rather have exposure in the real estate space actually to the home builders. I actually think they're going to do fairly well over the next three, five, seven years because of the stranded supply that is now in the existing home market. And when I say stranded supply, I mean the amount of homes that are locked into 3% mortgages and that are not going to move because people don't want to give up that 3% mortgage. That's going to increase the demand or increase, yeah, increase the demand for those new homes and that new supply, that marginal new supply coming from the new home market. So if I'm going to get ex more exposure to the real estate sector, I rather move more towards the housing stocks and adjacent companies opportunistically. Obviously, they've ran recently, but opportunistically. All right. Thanks for the call. Now, December is moving fast. Yeah, we're a week in. Just a few weeks away, uh, less than three weeks away from Christmas. And then New Year's will sneak up on you rapidly as well. Now, the question for you as we go into 2024 is, are you prepared? Are you ready? Is your portfolio positioned to take advantage of the right opportunities and to avoid the subsequent risks? Well, I encourage you, if you are not sure, to take advantage of our free portfolio review assessment via telephone or go to meeting. You can set up a set up a call with me by going to our website, investtalk.com, clicking on the portfolio review button in the top right hand side of the screen, and fill that out. 
give us as much details as you can, and we'll get right back to you. All right, this is Invest Talk. I'm Justin Klein, and we have one goal each and every weekday, and that's to help you take that next step towards your journey. Everyone's journey is different. Start a different place. Your goal is to end a different place, but it's all relatively the same when it comes to the principles. And the general goal is financial freedom. To do what you want to do as opposed to what you have to do. And the investment markets can be a valuable tool there. And our job is to help you take advantage of those markets and to make good decisions with your money consistently. So our work continues after this final break. So get your questions in now at 888-99-CHART. Each day, InvestTalk listeners submit their finance and investment questions via phone or email. Would you like your question to be put near the top of the list? Just take a minute or two to leave a review and rating for InvestTalk at iTunes. And be sure to include a brief question with your iTunes review comments. Hi, Justin and Steve. This is Quentin from New Hampshire. I have a question about what happens to a stock that I have in my IRA that delists themselves. And I'm just curious what happens. Do they just get sold to me? Uh, I mean, at that point by my IRA holder or um, should I sell them before they get delisted? Thanks a lot. Great show. Uh, well, they become much harder to trade. Your broker might still be able to sell them in the OTC markets. It's really up to the broker and the stock. Yeah, I, I would say the simplest thing sell it before you get delisted. A lot of you will get stuck with names uh, like that. Happens with ADRs as well, where they're no longer, they're tra still traded on a foreign market, but they're no longer traded on the domestic market. And then suddenly now you have to go basically sell a foreign stock uh, that may be less liquid and cost more, et cetera. So yeah, it's just easier to sell it before it gets delisted. All right. Thanks for the call. Now let's talk a little about the biggest buzzword right now, which is AI and generative AI. And we know founder of OpenAI, Sam Altman, has talked a lot about this new technology and building super intelligence, which basically means AI with the capacity to think better than a human, exceed what a human can do. And we know that the AI hype has lifted the NASDAQ Back to nearly the levels we saw at the beginning of last year. But if you look at the actual outcomes uh, so far, it's been fairly underwhelming. Now, text generation produced by large language models depend a lot on the data used to train those models. And it's pretty clear that they struggle with New scenarios. They don't have the requisite data. They have trouble thinking outside the box, shall we say. They're not creative. And I, I think that's one of the main factors of being a human. Main features of being a human, excuse me. It's our ability to be creative. Create new patterns. 
That makes sense. Now, Google's DeepMind AI can forecast the weather better than existing forecast models most of the time. However, they're very bad at spotting extreme events. Weather patterns are generally recurring. But kind of those two, three sigma events can be challenging for these AI models to predict. And the National Bureau of Economic Research, they studied things like AI chat boxes, which are becoming ubiquitous. Almost every piece of software is now coming out with one. And it showed some encouraging signs. One is that there's a 14% improvement in productivity. But that's only with limited or limited to new and low-skilled workers. So anybody with decent level of skill and experience, it is not really going to help them. And so these limitations are becoming more obvious as these new tools are being rolled out. That what AI has... Some application, like most new pieces of technology, that application, at least in the near term, is very limited and not going to advance at the pace that most people hope it to be, especially at the pace that the market has priced in to many of these names. Within the space, let's look at AMD's rise today on their, quote-unquote, their their chips that can run AI. And so it's pretty clear by the outcomes, not the hype, not the stories, but the true application of this technology, that it remains limited. And the pace of that innovation remains slower than the market is, is pricing it. So as usual, hype usually far exceeds reality. All right, I'm Justin Klein. This completes another Invest Talk program. Steve and I thank you for listening, and we encourage you to tell, tell your friends and family about our free podcast downloads, which you can find anytime at iTunes, Spotify, or Google Play. And be sure to rate and review on iTunes as well. Independent thinking, shared success. This is Invest Talk. Good night. Invest Talk is a trademark of KPP Financial. Because of the nature of the interactive dialogue inherent in the format of this program, it's important for the listener to understand that not all comments made will apply to them. Specifically, nothing said shall be taken to be investment advice, or shall statements on this program be considered an offer to buy or sell security. Because such advice is rendered solely on an individual basis, and at times will require that the investor review a prospectus before investing. InvestTalk is a copyrighted program of Klein, Pavlis, and Peasley Financial, a registered investment advisor firm which retains all rights. For more information regarding KPP's investment advisors, call 1-800-557-5461.